0: All right, welcome to Flux's Mobility Spotlight, where we share stories of people who have made successful job transitions in the companies with cultures that encourage them to do so. Our next guest is Chris Ling, and this is a pretty special episode since Chris works at Flux. Uh, Chris is on our data engineering team, and he's taken a pretty atypical path to get there from studying environmental science at MIT to practicing law, serving as associate director for d D&I at the Oregon State Bar, and now software engineering. So it's a super interesting path, and I know it's something Chris, you talk a lot about and mentor others on, particularly just the path into software engineering. So I'm really excited to dig into this with you and for you to share some perspective. Uh, so maybe to get started, let's just, let's talk about your current role at, at Flux and kind of the type of engineering you're doing and let's start there. Yeah, um, and yeah, I'll, I'll just start by, saying thank
1: you for giving me the opportunity to share my story a little bit. Um, yeah, like as you mentioned, I'm a data engineer at Flux and uh, because we're a startup, pretty lean startup that actually involves a bunch of overlapping responsibilities that's not just sort of strictly data engineering. So um, I'm heavily involved in working on backend projects that involve our data science uh, and um, data export pipeline. So that just means like figuring out where we get huge amounts of data from different types of uh, industry and occupational contexts and um, being able to process them in a way to provide uh, matching related insights uh, to connect talent to awesome jobs. Uh, so right now we, you know, like a lot of our services are built uh, with AWS infrastructure. So it's kind of like maintaining those pipelines and building them out based off of the needs of our platform as it grows. Uh, in addition to that, I do, um, I guess like what you would consider to be database administrator work as well as some DevOps work. And I also throw a hand in on the analytics side by, um, maintaining our current repository of uh, data warehouse views and how they interact with our reporting platform, uh, which is currently mode, as well as things that we uh, have customized ourselves uh,
0: that you can see on our platform. Yeah, that's great detail. And obviously, you know, you've had a hand in helping kind of establish all that from early on uh, since joining the team as we... Built the initial platform, and now all the fun that comes with scale, and uh, <laughs> and continuing to make that more robust. Um, so, I, I one of the things I love about building a company is you know we've been so fortunate to get to hire people that we've worked with in the past, and you know you worked uh, you were you were a referral. Um, so we met Chen, <laughs> and Chen joined, and then Chen referred you immediately, so that was kind of how you found out about this, but maybe let's take this step back, because you were doing one software role before uh, you came to Flux, so like how did you find out about that role, like maybe, maybe we can start with like you, you had been doing law, like kind of <laughs> what caused the transition, how did you find out about it, like just let's walk down that path a little bit. Yeah, and uh, and I'm gonna to drop
1: our name a little bit. It, it was a conflux of different <laughs> uh, different variables that came into play. Uh, I think um, I've always been interested in sort of technical and software related things, but I never had any experience doing any programming um, other than sort of adjacent to some of the science research that I did in my undergraduate degree. So like learning basic or and playing around with MATLAB, but nothing super, um, focused in terms of uh, building a curriculum around uh, software engineering. But what I found was uh, when I was working as a a lawyer as well as working as a um, DNI specialist was that the parts that I really gravitated towards in terms of feeling like I was contributing and feeling like I was getting better insight centered around data. Um, and maybe that could be something from, uh, I used to work in estate and trust litigation. And so we would have to go and do a lot of investigation into uh, financial misconduct by uh, bad trustees. So recreating financial timelines based off of looking at very disparate um, bank accounts and other sorts of assets to going to diversity inclusion uh, programming where you're looking at demographic data you're looking at participation rates in a variety of programs mentorship programs Mm -hmm. orientation programs and you're trying to you know like prove that you're making an impact towards this sort of like qualitative goal of you know building diversity within a particular profession And, and those things always fascinated me so when I what basically happened, though, was that I got to a point in my career where I felt that the bottleneck for me um, was that I wanted to do more, and I wanted to do more right away, and, you know, just, I mean, whatever stereotypes you've heard about the legal profession, it is one that is built on precedent and a very um, deliberate pace in getting in having change made, and I just wanted to be in an environment where I could go and start taking larger risks. I had confidence in sort of like my ethos and my values and i wanted to apply that in a world and in a job setting that you know like people would allow me to take risks and build things um so i kind of like quit my job in the middle of at the start of 2017 and went to a boot camp 40 hours a day five days a week for three or four months and just immediately ground through it and just like soaked up as much as i could about software engineering and then Vikasa was actually I was a friend of a friend. Like I, I had a friend who I played futsal with and her husband knew a person at Vacasa, not even on the engineering side, but in the business development side for international business. And I had a quick chat with him. You know, we hit it off really well. And he, I mentioned that I had dropped an application because I was interested in seeing this intersection of how data can be used to help people in some contexts, in this case, like owners mm-hmm. who are trying to, you know, like maximize the effectiveness of their ability to make this passive income through vacation rentals. And he said, you know, like re-apply, re, re, uh, you know, just put in your materials again. He flagged somebody down on the team, you know, they across the hallway and, you know, like that kickstarted them, you know, calling me up and going through the screening. And eventually I got that opportunity to work at Picasa where I do, where I did very similar things in the vacation rental context with like, you know, transforming data, maintaining data pipelines and uh, mm-hmm. doing analytics related work or and helping analysts kind of like infer Um, information from our predictive modeling.
0: That's great. Um, And I I obviously, you know, I think particularly with engineering, boot camps are are a great way, I think, for a lot of people to get into that profession, if it's, you know, kind of what you didn't necessarily study in school or, or, you know, kind of whatever would be required um, formally. So you know, I, I think some of the skills you gained through a process like that are more obvious. Like as you went through that transition, even having gone to boot camp, kind of what were the, you know, when you stepped into kind of like a production role, um, what did you find like were the biggest skill or experience gaps you needed to close just making that leap from not having been an engineer to being an engineer?
1: Yeah, and I think this is something that um, many people who in the past were afraid of taking, you know, getting a CS degree or many people who are afraid to make the leap into software engineering wrestle with because they don't have any knowledge of this space is um, contextualizing why you're you know why you're coding a thing you know I think like it's very similar to how we used to learn math um, you know in the past was a lot of rote memorization and you know like we all joke about oh I don't use algebra in my real life or you know I don't use calculus in my real life but I think that's a failure on the side of being able to we weren't taught to contextualize things very well. And mm-hmm. I think the biggest gap that I had was like, oh yeah, I could code a thing that I could return, you know, like an integer versus a float and you know, perform some sort of, you know, math calculations, but it was the why. Um, and then yeah. relating back to like, um, you know, my prior industries, which was very like stakeholder focused, very service oriented. So we would always ask ourselves the question of why. So being able to think about software and say that, oh, it's, it is a very similar exercise of thinking about the why are we connecting all these pieces? Why are we writing code in this way? Like what does, it, what does an API actually mean? It's a, it's a contract by which we are, it's a common communication or common type of language that we are agreeing to so that we can help facilitate some sort of data transaction. You know, like, like I mean, once I started yeah. thinking about things like that, like that was like a huge barrier that I was able to like leap across.
0: Yeah. That's great. I, I imagine, um, I think just with your interest of data, and I mean, I even just thinking back to your your interview, which is probably one of my all time favorites, well, <laughs> um, was was just your ability to kind of follow that chain of whys through like a very open exercise, right? Like I have all this information, what are the patterns I'm starting to see? What are the questions I can start asking? And kind of following that chain, um, which you know I think for anybody, Designing or building product, or, or just working kind of around those those kind of occupational lenses, um, that ability to kind of go through that exercise is so key in um, you know building the right thing and and approaching it the right way. Tell me, um, so just from your background, I mean, so you were you were you were practicing law, you moved into kind of more of um, this this kind of um, advisory kind of role uh, with the state bar around DNI. What what skills from those experiences have really served you well and kind of helped with that transition into engineering beyond like the data piece? Yeah,
1: I think the biggest part is um
0: like listening.
1: Listening and really like when we when I say stakeholder management, I don't really mean it in terms of like widgets or abstractions or like a B2B customer sort of way, but it's pulling back and what's the humanizing element of why we're doing things, you know? And um, I think you can see like, even when I write tickets, it's not sort of the typical way that an engineer would write tickets. Like I always like to write, it, it's, it's also a, a, a tip that I picked up from a former colleague of mine where I, I say, you know, what's the ask? And then I go to what's the engineering thing. And I try to construct that user story even if it wasn't provided to me initially, because I think context matters. Um, I was in so many environments where you would have, you know, like all these distinct groups of stakeholders who had all these different sets of priorities in the diversity space. Um, And you had to kind of really listen to everybody and try to figure out like where are there commonalities? Where is there miscommunication? And where are the things that you have to compromise about? And in, the legal, and in the legal setting, when I was working as an attorney in the litigation space, you know, it wasn't always just the client tells you what to do and you do it, but you infer from your relationship with the client, what is the client actually asking for? And for being able to present back to the client and say, hey, you said A, and that's, like, you're really fixated on, like, this is a goal and it's a priority, but have you thought about B? You know, like, you've been saying, oh, you've been dancing around these other issues, and I think that these are also important to take into consideration.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that makes, that makes a ton of sense. Um. Just kind of stepping back, and let's let's take a lens of just around kind of hiring and advice for now. People wanting to make the move, like I think the law jump to uh, to to software engineering is is a very unique one. Um, I, I think maybe if we widen that a bit and just say, you know, kind of anyone who's who's wanting to get into like software engineering or, or even more specifically data engineering. Um, what attribute do you think is important in like the work you're doing right now that people don't usually associate with it?
1: Yeah, um, I, I think I think like I said in my last question, I think it's sort of contextualizing um, yeah. because I, I joke about this all the time. I, I you know I give presentations uh, to coding bootcamp uh, graduates and students, and I say you know like when you're talking about describing languages, computer programming languages, like think about them like actual languages, like you know, like your Pythons mm-hmm. versus your JavaScript versus your Ruby is like the romance languages. It's like Portuguese versus Spanish versus Italian. Mm-hmm. There are these commonalities. And so the the success of you as a software engineer is not necessarily, although you know there is correlation between depth in in, in a particular language or a particular set of like technologies, but it's also highly dependent and we don't and we overlook this so often again, on like contextualizing how we're using these tools to build a thing. Always asking, is this the way that my user wants to interact with it? Have we asked clients? Have we asked customers? Are you using it this way? Is this what you intend to do with it? How can I facilitate, you know, and make things as smooth as possible for you to interact with what I'm building? And, and that's, that's a skill that I think like, especially people who are transitioning into software engineers and, and engineering and have a, pre-disposition or a you know like a preconception that software engineering means it's math, it's logic, it's typing on a keyboard. We miss out on. And then we we want to like just drill into the nitty-gritty. And I think again, like it's this generation of software engineers are going to be so much better than the previous generations because I think I'm seeing when I'm volunteering and I'm mentoring this greater awareness towards that towards the product yeah. towards the stakeholders and I think that's key for us to like just be better as an
0: industry in general yeah that's I, I love that um, and I, I think you're you're so right on that I mean I, I think I look at people we've hired and, and we're working with now versus like you know my experience even ten years ago um, a lot's changed I think that's fed into that um, but I, I think you're hundred percent correct um, what um just since you took the boot camp route, like just maybe like a, a little side question like like for anyone considering that or going through that right now, like kind of already on that path or they've they've they're leaning heavily towards it um what general advice do you have for people like either in you know there's a lot of them out there now, like in terms of choosing one, and then also like you know have you found in your experience or maybe generally because I know you mentor people in boot camps um Are there things that maybe aren't covered as much that that if someone could learn them would be really critical for stepping into a job afterwards? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say the first piece of advice that I would give somebody
1: considering a bootcamp is to do your research because there's a huge variety of different bootcamp types that address different needs of students. Um, For example, uh, the bootcamp that I went to, which is the Tech Academy, it's Portland bootcamp, was highly centered around you know, like this um, self-paced curriculum. They, they, they gave you a time estimate of saying, we're giving you, you know, like 15 to 20 weeks to complete all these courses, but you can do it at your own pace. It's just that when we paced it out, this is what it is. Um, and that was where I needed to be because by the time I wanted to make the switch, I really wanted to make the switch and I didn't want to wait six months for a cohort to open up at a more um, formally structured bootcamp. Um, the downside to that flexibility was that I didn't necessarily, I built a lot of breadth. So I had exposure to a lot of different um, languages like C Sharp, Python, JavaScript, but I didn't necessarily build depth of stack. And if I had done, you know, like research, I don't know, like into some of the other boot camps that were available, I did here and there, but, you know, they keep popping up and, you know, like you never kind of get the whole lay of the land, you know, um, the, the bootcamp that I volunteer at uh, Alchemy Code Lab, they're very focused in terms of having a strong modern framework stack centered primarily around JavaScript and JavaScript-related technologies. And so because of that, you know, like I know, for example, when I get a graduate out of there, that they understand how to build this vertically integrated web app. But, you know, maybe their concern when I am mentoring them is around how do I convince other, the potential employers that I can translate these skills to like a Ruby context or to a PHP context, so like so there's there's pros and cons to every kind of bootcamp that you go to. Um, in terms of your second question about like what could you do outside of the bootcamp experience to kind of help lock in, I would say that my I have the worst luck possible in setting up <laughs> like development environments. Like I'll be, I can get down and code like once it's all set up, like I can code for days, but like just setting up like, oh, like here are the technologies we use. I'll be stuck for like two days, three days. Passwords will mysteriously not work for me, so I have to reset things all the time. And I really wish I had context in terms of like, oh, how do I code when I'm interacting with other people with a shared code base? And being able to, like, have that development cycle where we go through, like, sprints and we're saying, like, we're assigning tickets based on priority and, like, those things I had to learn on the job. And maybe I would have had a little bit more of a comfortable transition (laughs) if I had known kind of, like, those workplace management-related skills. And some boot camps are better than that than others. Like, at my boot camp, we simulated sprints but it wasn't exactly that way like you know like in different boot camps do different things they're more project-based and they're more like hackathon based but i just the, i would love to see more experiences where it feels more like a like a day-to-day like we're setting up our environment this is what our stack is you know like you have to like learn how to onboard yourself that was yeah
0: key yeah for me uh, yeah yeah that's great huh. and, then, and then you throw those pesky business people like product managers into the mix
1: (laughs) yeah you know it's really funny because like having come from the stakeholder side like i in 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 a large way i align very heavily with product i found that my uh a new facet that i've discovered is that Now that I'm in this very specific type of technical role, like I really want to be involved on that product side. And I realize that there's a little bit of that, like it has to come down the life cycle a little bit and like ruminate and germinate and do all those fancy like things that just like become a formed idea as opposed to a brainstormed idea. But man, do I love to have my fingers in every pot as much as possible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think that's one of the beauties of of working in early stage startup where, there's always an extra set of hands needed and uh, you can kind of get your fingerprints on as much as you're, you're able to touch. Um, what um, – so, I mean, you've helped hire people here, um, you know, in, in other roles. Like, if you're – let's strip out, like, the tech skills and kind of the obvious stuff. Like, if, if you were hiring somebody for your role right now in, in, a, in a data-focused engineering capacity or is there anything else you look for beyond like the obvious things? Like what, what usually stands out in a candidate or, you know, you do a lot of uh, coaching as well. Like what, what, um, what do you look for? What stands out? Um, I, I really
1: look for the willingness to kind of explore through a problem, but like doing so in an organized fashion, I think there's, I don't know why it's this bimodal distribution, but like I feel like people feel that they either have to like come to a task immediately or they want to be in that sort of academic environment where you're just kind of like coming up with the best solution. And really what it means to me, and I I think maybe I I gravitate towards this because of my lawyer background, because you're making a lot of educated, research-based decisions, but you're also kind of like speculating a little bit. So you have to kind of Mm -hmm. balance that. Like if a client comes to you and says, hey, I've got this legal issue, like you can say like, you know, like based on my prior cases, this is what I would anticipate, but let me, let's put a pin in it, let's research it and come back. Like we have to, you have to make sort of those deliberate decision points where you're like, we're going to spend X amount of time on this, you know, like we're going to do that. And then we're going to like formulate a plan. And what I look for in candidates is that thoughtfulness of being able to say like, I'm not going to have to jump in right away to a solution. Like, let me think about what the problem space is. Let me me contextualize. And if they can do that, um, and then communications also, especially nowadays when we're it's kind of in this remote new world of like remote technology mm-hmm. and remote work, um, you know, brought on by sort of our global circumstances. But also, I think that's the trend with technology. Um, communication is highly important. I think, um, you know, like Wei, our CTO, always talks about over-communication and how that's a good thing in this context. And I do yeah. prefer over-communication because then I know we're communicating. And then it's just a matter of filtering out the right information for a given context. So yeah, I I, I guess I would say like organization, communication, I don't worry so much about, you know, like the technical skills, as long as they show sort of like a general aptitude with understanding how to build building blocks. Because like I said, it's, I really do view uh, programming languages like actual languages. Like you will build fluency on the job. Like you people learn languages all the time. Like I have faith in people's ability to do that.
0: Yeah. 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 Agreed. Um, and I'm curious, just like a, like a bit of a a, a curve, like a, just a detour for for a minute or so. Um, you've got a fantastic background in just diversity and inclusion work. And obviously you've done it as a job. You've got big hands in it here with us, both in terms of just, I think as we, continue to shape our mission and the type of company we want to create and obviously how that transfers down into a product that's all about connecting people to opportunity um how is your background like i mean just just having such a a a focused intentioned role within dni um how have you taken like like how have you taken pieces of that and like are there pieces of that that influence even just how you approach your your daily work as as an engineer or how you think about product like What what things have you pulled out of that that you you apply? Yeah, and and this is the reason why
1: I always joke to Chen about this, about like how she kind of was like, oh, my company's hiring and provided no context as to what the company was. (laughs) And so when I finally started doing my due diligence, I was like, oh my God, like this is the intersection of all the things that I've done in the past, all the career development I've done in the past, all the weird meandering I've done in the past, all the, you know, like... Folk like empathetic, focused attention that I place on building relationships with underrepresented people. Like that's all here. And maybe, you know, like initially when we had the discussion, it wasn't so overt in talking about DEI, but we were talking equitable concepts. Um, and so the way that I think it informs is that I really do try to put myself in the shoes as much as I can of other people or to the extent that I know I can. Like, I really want to involve those people in the decision-making processes. Um, just because, like, look, I I mean, I guess I have a great story, you know, like, when, uh, from an external perspective about what my transition is. But I'll be honest, like, I have a lot of privilege in terms of where my education was able to take me and the flexibility that I was able to do, to have in, like, making this, Uh, transition was, you know, like highly informed and highly benefited by the fact that I had the opportunity to go to a great school, had the opportunity Mm -hmm. of a supportive, you know, community and network, um, you know, and the opportunity to work in, like I said, like a customer service, you know, like service oriented environment. And so I always want to ask the question of like, who am I impacting And it goes back to that, like we've talked about it throughout this conversation, Um, but yeah, whenever I think of a product question, whenever I think about an engineering question, I always think about like, who is it impacting, whether it means like, you know, like um, in the data science side, like Chen is our primary stakeholder for a lot of our internal data. So I really wanna think about, you know, like not just her saying I need this change, but what are the implications and what are the inferences underlying the reason why she wants those changes and when we start having that like conversation we're able to draw out those you know like those bits and pieces of things that would have been you know like subsequent tickets but now we can form them into a story because we have a complete mm-hmm. story we've really listened to our stakeholder so that's yeah. that's what I bring from I think my DEI d i background is
0: yeah. taking the time to listen and like tease out the story yeah that's fantastic that's great, thank you for that. Um, maybe last question here, <clears throat> just j- like you've given a lot of good insight here uh, already. I think any other advice you'd give somebody wanting to make a similar move to you or even just a, a, a big leap? I mean, you've these, these are big transitions you made. What advice do you have for people considering something similar? Meet people,
1: ask people, build relationships. I was very, I mean, I I learned that the hard way uh, when I was a law student, I thought I could just get around with my grades and my credentials, you know, like, you know, or in your early twenties, you think everything's a meritocracy in this very particularized way. And it turns out that relationships matter and networking matters and, you know, like getting, putting your face out there and building genuine relationships and not just like very mercenary type relationships. Um, Yeah that those are are so critical, equally critical, more critical in a lot of ways. Um, Ask people out to coffee, like get a gut check, find out any connection that you have to the industry, you know, like, and and, and, you be like, and it's it's harder now, but so you can still ask for a virtual coffee and be like, hey, can I just pick your brain for an hour? Like I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And um, what I did love about the legal profession in that regard, was that when I started working with the diverse organizations and the professional organizations, it was like an unspoken thing. And maybe this is an Oregon-specific thing, but like everybody's like always ask for a coffee. We're all there's like an unspoken rule that we'll always sit down for a coffee. We'll always share our time, you know. And we would joke, oh, it's maybe because we want you to stroke our ego a little bit and so like it's a little bit of self-gratification by being able to like listen to some you know bright-eyed young professional to be like asking you like oh what's this amazing thing that you did why are you so amazing you know like maybe it's part that but it's also like we want to build a community and you have to in order to make the transition like you will rely on others and the sooner that you can start to ask those questions find a mentor find some like relationship to help facilitate you and guide you through this process i'm i always yeah. i am always volunteering my time for that like uh, like um yeah. <laughs> at alchemy like i i am frequently like hey tell talking to the career development person over there i'm like hey like throw my name out there i always have an open door policy like i think i'm in the middle right now of um I promised I would get this done this week, but I'm in the middle of devising a, vol- a sort of volunteer office hours with that bootcamp that I want to pilot, um, just around the topic of how do we approach different types of technical interviews and why we, you know, like what are the commonalities we can glean from all of those interview experiences and how do we build strengths for them, but how do we also tackle particularized interactions? And so, like, yeah. Yeah, like five, these people exist, they, they don't have to be me, they don't have to be exactly like a me, but there are enough people in the industry who are happy to have a coffee, willing to give you information, that you should take advantage of it. And the worst case scenario is that they say, no, I don't have time, or they ignore your email. Yeah. Like it, it really is of very little negative like, 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 like cost to you.
0: Yeah, 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 that's so true. I mean, I think most people generally do wanna be helpful, and, and a lot of times it's actually, I found in my experience, both asking for help uh, and, you know, throughout my career and then, then giving it back where I can, is just being clear about what you're looking for help on. You know, sometimes just someone may not know where you're coming from or uh, just have the context. And I think being clear about what you're needing help for, what you're looking for, um, even if that person can't you know, give you that or, or share that. They may know somebody who can. And it just really you're right, it it just comes down to asking and kind of getting over the the hurdle. Um but uh I, I love that answer. Um anything that you wanna just we're we're kinda at the end here. Anything you wanna you wanna plug? Uh any any call outs, anything you wanna
1: yeah, um, while we've got time? Yeah. I, I would exhort all of my colleagues in the software (laughs) engineering space to take a role in volunteering and mentoring especially during this challenging time. Um, Volunteers are always needed in any context um, but like think about the community, the professional community that you want to build for yourself and you know like you need to play a role in that and You're going to see some amazing people like uh, to the extent that there are other people who are facing the diversity question in terms of like how do we promote this and like just sort of like grow this within our company or how do we get you know like great hires you have to get out there in the community you have to see who these people are and you can't just rely passively on people just coming to you like i find such great reward and i'm so impressed by the people that i interview Uh, that I interview, that I volunteer with, that I mentor, they're learning things that I didn't learn two years ago, three uh, three years ago, three years ago when I started my software journey. And you know, like they're learning different things every day. Like I see a new technology being used every day. And yeah, I think think it's incumbent upon us if we're going to say we're going to build this profession as a profession, that we take an active role in sustaining it and growing it.
0: So that's what I would leave with. Some Fantastic. Well, Chris, I appreciate the time and you sharing your story. This was super insightful. I uh, appreciate it as always. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. All right. Cheers.